Please take your uh, Bibles and open them to uh, Philippians chapter 3. Going into the Lord's Supper, I just want to actually remind you of uh, what we uh, looked at in our last, last message. We are uh, right now in a book study uh, of Philippians, and that study has taken us into the uh, third uh, chapter of the book. And in the last message, the previous message, uh, we looked at verses 8, 9, 10, and 11. And I'd like to uh, read those verses and just uh, remind us of one central truth that we saw in that message as we go into the Lord's Supper this morning. This, of course, is the Apostle Paul's uh, marvelous uh, testimony. And in Philippians 3, verse 8, he reads, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. In this portion of Scripture, uh, we saw the dramatic transformation that took place in Paul's heart and in his thinking uh, when he was encountered by Christ on the road to Damascus. And his, of course, life was radically changed from that moment on. And we talked about that being a glorious exchange. That salvation is a glorious exchange where you exchange all that you are for all that Christ is. And that is some kind of deal. Uh, because all we're giving to Him is our bankrupt spiritual state. And uh, we're receiving from Him all the riches of His grace. And in a message several weeks ago, we looked at all the things that He lost, that He surrendered, that He gave up in coming to know Christ. And then in the very last message... We looked at those things that he gained uh, through a relationship uh, with Christ. And I just want to remind you of those five truths that we looked at in that last message. The five things that a believer gains uh, when they uh, come to know Jesus. And the first was a very personal and intimate knowledge of Christ. We talked about when he talks about the knowledge of Christ in these verses, he uses the word gnosis which does not mean intellectual awareness or assent. It means experiential knowledge. He means as a result of coming to know Christ, I have been brought into a deep relationship with Him where experientially I know Him and I know His presence and I'm conscious that He is with me and that He's caring for me, guiding me, giving me strength, giving me grace. Uh, but not only that personal and intimate knowledge uh, of God, of Christ, but also right standing with God through the righteousness of Jesus. As that righteousness of Christ is literally deposited into your account to give you a right standing before God. And that's why now a believer has the freedom uh, to come boldly into God's presence, even when we fail, even when we sin, to find God's mercy. Because the blood of Jesus Christ has already taken our judgment for us. As Jesus paid for the penalty of our sin through His death on the cross. But not only a personal intimate knowledge of Christ. Not only uh, 
right standing with God through His righteousness that we receive. But also we saw we receive in salvation the power of God uh, to uh, be delivered from sin and to serve God. And then the fourth thing that we saw is fellowship uh, with Christ in our suffering. Uh, we never have to go through difficulty. We never have to go through adversity alone. I mentioned the Corzan family that I baptized and the deep, deep waters that they've walked through for a number of years uh, now. And uh, it's just marvelous to see them experiencing in the midst of that adversity and suffering uh, the fellowship of Christ and uh, knowing His grace, knowing His comfort. And that's what is made available to every believer that uh, knows our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then the last thing was, of course, a sharing in the future glory of Christ. That's what he meant when he desiring to obtain the resurrection from the dead. He's looking uh, to that time in the future uh, at the rapture when he'll, re he'll receive that new glorified body. And he'll be totally delivered from the very presence of sin to know perfect purity and perfect righteousness. So I just wanted to remind you as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that's what we celebrate. Uh, those are the things that uh, we gained by placing our faith in Christ. By placing our trust in what he did through his death, burial, and resurrection. And so we glory, we do celebrate as we observe the Lord's uh, table today. We celebrate that I've been brought into an intimate relationship with Christ where I experientially can know Him. I, I rejoice in the fact that His righteousness has been imputed to me. And I don't have to work for acceptance of God. I'm accepted by God. I did nothing to win His love. There's nothing I can do to lose His love. That's the one guarantee I have in life. And then I praise Him as I come. He's made His power available to me to deliver me from my struggles and from my sin uh, to serve God. And then His sweet fellowship in my sufferings, in my struggles, in my challenges and adversities. And then, of course, I have that great what? Future hope. Uh, uh, I not only know Him right now, but there's a day coming forward in the future where I will know Him uh, as I could never know Him now, as I will uh, see Him in His perfect glory and uh, fully apprehend Him as He's apprehended me. So, uh, boys and girls, as uh, you have the opportunity, for those of you that know Him, to uh, uh, participate, for those of you that have not come to know Him yet, to observe, uh, that's what we celebrate. And the elements, of course, are the, uh, the bread and the juice. And the bread, boys and girls, represents the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The juice represents His blood. His body that was crucified on the cross and His blood that was shed on that cross uh, to pay for the penalty of our sin and purchase for us a place in heaven and to allow us to enter a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So uh, pray with me, and then after I pray, I'll ask our elders and uh, deacons to uh, assume their positions, and uh, we'll uh, begin to observe. Father, what a joy uh, to come to the Lord's table today. What a joy to rejoice in the body of Jesus Christ, represented by the bread that we partake of. That body that was freely offered and, and sacrificed on Calvary's tree. As he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that was shed 
And that uh, blood that we celebrate as we drink the juice, as we partake of it, uh, that blood that not only washed us of our sin, but that blood that gives us access to your presence uh, 24-7. And that blood that enables us to avail ourselves of your mercies, of your compassion, of your love, and of your power. So Lord, thank you because of what we celebrate today. We have been captured by a love that will never let us go. Uh, And thank you that uh, you will always remain faithful. And so Lord, we come to rejoice not only what what you did, but what you presently are in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, and then to rejoice in that future hope that is ours of a home in heaven uh, to live with you throughout eternity. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray, amen. So men, go ahead and uh, take your positions. And again, if you're visiting, we have an open communion. If you know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we would invite you to uh, join with us. Uh, we simply release our people, the various sections, down one side, and then you come take the bread. They will dip the bread into the juice, and then you partake right there, and then you can go back to your seat down the other side. We, if we have those that physically cannot uh, make their way down to the front, we have men right here that will bring the elements to serve you, and all you need to do is raise your hand so that they can see you, and they'll bring the elements to you. So with that, uh, let's celebrate our, uh, the Lord's Supper today. And so you come and partake. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And with that, we will dismiss our children, our boys and girls, for their children's worship. And if you are our guest and you have uh, children, they are more than welcome to participate. As you notice, simply release your child to the vestibule. And uh, leadership are there. They pick them up. They go directly below us for children's church. Well, we uh, do continue our study of the uh, book of Philippians in the remaining moments we have left. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, we do find ourselves in uh, Philippians uh, chapter 3. Today we'll uh, be looking at verses 12 through 16 in a message I've entitled, Run the Race to Win. Run the Race to Win the Prize. And I don't know that I'm going to be able to adequately cover the material in the time allotted me this morning, but I would like to get through the outline, even if I have to return to it in the next message to emphasize some points. But let's, let's begin by reading the verses together. Uh, and uh, I'll begin reading at verse 12, and I'll read through verse 16. Again, uh, this is the Apostle Paul's uh, uh, passion uh, after coming to know Christ uh, to go deeper with Him experientially. He says in verse 12, Not that I have already obtained it, referring back to the resurrection from the dead, or, or, or have already become uh, perfect, uh, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. And brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do. Matter of fact, in the Greek text, uh, that I do is not there. That's sort of implied. Uh, it, it, it's really emphasized in the Greek state. Just one thing, and here it is, he says. He says, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal 
for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have obtained. I hope you picked up a, a copy of the a sermon notes as you came in. And uh, again, I'm going to uh, move rather quickly through this this morning because I do want to, for you to see the entire outline again, even if we have to come back to it in the next message. But look at the introduction. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 11, those are verses we've already covered, uh, describes Paul's encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, and the glorious exchange that we talked about a moment ago, the glorious exchange he made when he gave up all he was for all Christ is. Now, in verses 4 through, through 7, they detail what Paul lost in the exchange, while verses 8 through 11 detail, as we mentioned a moment ago, what Paul gained in the exchange. And you see those five things there in your sermon notes that we just highlighted in the observance of the Lord's Supper. A personal and intimate experiential knowledge of Christ. Right standing with God through the righteousness of Christ. The power of Christ to overcome sin and serve God. The fellowship of Christ in our sufferings and sharing in the future glory of Christ. So in verses 8 through 11, Paul is glorying in the fact that these are the things he gained when he made that glorious exchange to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, continue on in your sermon notes there in the introduction. In Philippians 3, verses 12 through 16, our verses for today, we discover that despite all Paul gained in Christ, this did not lead him to passivity in his Christian faith, but created an intense desire to go deeper in his relationship with Christ. And to pursue the goal of becoming more and more like Christ. Paul uses the metaphor of a race to illustrate the effort that is worthy in the pursuit of the infinite prize of Christ. Now before we go any further, uh, let me just again emphasize, it was just mentioned there, but I, I need to highlight it. In the context of this message, when we talk about running the race, when we talk about winning Let's make sure we understand what winning is in this context. And winning is developing a deeper relationship with Christ and growing in Christ-like character. Because that is what God has called us to. You're all familiar with Romans 8, 28 and 29, right? It says, and we know that God causes what? All things to what? Work together for what? Our good, not that God causes everything that happens. We live in an evil world where there's great injustice and there's sin. But God says to the believer, I will not, I'll give you the ironclad guarantee that nothing can ever touch your life on this planet earth that I cannot use for your ultimate spiritual good, even if it's to take you out of this earth to your eternal home in heaven. I cause all things to work for your good. And the reason is the next verse. Verse 29, he says, because we've been what? Predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. So we know that God causes all things to work for our good to those who are what? Called by God and, uh, and, and love him 
and we've been predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. And I've shared with you many times before, that word uh, predestined, prohorizo, has two fundamental meanings. The first meaning is a predetermined outcome. So, for example, when Andy Merritt came to know Christ, September 20th, 1907, uh, as by virtue of my faith in Him and His God apprehended and captured my life, He uh, determined that the outcome of my life would be to be made like Him. And I began that process on that day that I embraced Jesus, my Lord and Savior. I'm still uh, in that process, and that process will not become complete until what? I see Jesus, what? Face to face. Face to face. But that word prohorizo also means to place a boundary around something. It's where we get the word horizon uh, from. And so it, it's a beautiful thought that God not only has predetermined that the outcome of my faith will be to be made like Jesus, and God is using everything that comes in my life for that purpose right now, but it means that He's put this boundary around me. We often use the expression in Christian circles, uh, heads of protection or umbrella of protection. And what God is saying again, I'm not going to let anything penetrate that hedge and, and touch your life unless I know I can use it for that purpose. So God, because of His love for you, He's placed limitations on your life. He's not going to let anything touch you that He cannot use to draw you into deeper depths of, of likeness to Him. And to put it in the context of the previous message... God's not going to let anything penetrate that hedge and touch your life unless He knows it's going to take you into a deeper, personal, and intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ. He's not going to let anything penetrate that hedge unless He knows that it can serve not just so you know an imputed righteousness, but what? A practical righteousness where you're walking in holiness, walking in righteousness, in, the, in Christ-likeness. And he's not going to let anything penetrate that hedge unless it gives me the opportunity what, to lean on Christ's power. To be delivered from sin. To be delivered from my adversaries. To serve God. He's, he's not going to allow anything to penetrate that hedge that where his grace and his comfort will not be sufficient for me. Even if it's a difficult thing. A time of suffering. And of course, he's going to allow things to penetrate that hedge that are difficult to give me what? Turn my eyes heavenward. That this isn't my home right here. I'm just a pilgrim passing through. So he wants to create a hunger and a thirst for my future glory, my future ambition. Now with that, look at the next uh, uh, four points in your notes. And, and these, these are the things that we need uh, to bring to the relationship. You know, we talked about uh, last week, uh, that we've gained this deep, personal, intimate relationship with Christ. But we all know as believers, we can what? We can neglect that relationship. You remember the church of Ephesus? Jesus commended them about many things, but he says, I have one thing against you. You've what? You've left your first love. And we said that word left, ephemai, in the Greek text, is actually the same word they used when a man would write his wife a bill of divorcement. And Christ is saying, you've gotten involved and busy in so many things. And many of the things were good things, ministry things. You've, you've neglected your relationship with me. And the one thing that I want most is that heart of affection. I want your devotion. I want your, your, your worship. And so we need to realize 
that when we talk about a relationship with Christ, it's a reciprocal relationship. Uh, uh, yes, God as, is at work in me, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. But as he works in me, I'm to what? Work out my salvation. In other words, he wants me to experience that relationship. He wants me to appropriate his power, appropriate his righteousness, appropriate that fellowship that I might uh, know him and know that future glory. So look at the first thing. First thing is dissatisfaction. This is where spiritual growth begins. Dissatisfaction with my present spiritual condition that motivates me to experience deeper depths of Christ's likeness. Dissatisfaction. You might want to call it a holy dissatisfaction, a holy discontentment with my present spiritual condition that motivates me to experience deeper depths of Christ's likeness. And that's exactly what Paul is communicating in verse 12. He says, not that I've already obtained it. You know, I haven't obtained perfection. I haven't obtained perfect Christ's likeness at this point. I haven't already become perfect, but I press on. And that word press on means to press on with great energy, with great diligence, like a runner to cross the finish line. And he says, I press on in order that I may lay hold of that which also was laid hold of by, by, to, by me, by Christ Jesus. You know, what is he saying? Jesus Christ laid hold of me. Jesus Christ gave me that relationship. He gave me that righteousness, that power, that fellowship, that future glory. Now I want to make that my own. I want to experience that relationship. I want to experience and appropriate that righteousness and power, to know that fellowship, and to know eventually that future uh, glory. And so we need to understand, uh, death comes to your spiritual growth when you become what? Satisfied. When you become content. What's a great example of this in the Bible? Can you think of one of the seven churches in Revelation that had this problem? Laodicea. Laodicea, remember the lukewarm church. Jesus says, I wish you were hot or even cold, but you're neither. You're just lukewarm. You're just apathetic. And then he makes the statement, you, you think you're spiritually rich. You think you're spiritually seen, but in reality, you're in the depths of spiritual poverty and blindness. And this was a church that had just wandered. They had neglected their relationship with Christ. And Christianity just became a routine. It became a ritual. Going to church, going through the motions, going through the observances, getting involved even in ministry, doing a lot of good things. But they had lost connection with Christ in that relationship. They had lost that hunger and that thirst, that passion, realizing, yes, you know, I, 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 I'm, I need to go deeper. I need to go further. He wants to take me into greater depths of Christ's likeness. Look at the second thing. It's also going to require concentration. And concentration on one thing, remaining faithful to Christ each step of the race in order to cross the finish line of winner. Concentration on one thing, remaining faithful to Christ each step of the race in order to cross the finish line of winner. Look at verse 13. He says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing. I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Now, folks, how do you win any race, any foot race? One step at a time. There's no other way. One step at a time. And that's what Paul is saying here. We have to concentrate on that next step as we continue to go forward to towards that 
finish line. I have to concentrate on today, today's challenges, today's adversities, today's opportunities to grow in Christ-likeness and not squander those opportunities, but to see the opportunities that He's giving me. And I cannot, listen, very important, a believer cannot be distracted by past failures or successes. See, past fail- successes or failures are not relevant. What matters is making the maximum, maximum effort in the present. And what happens with many believers, their focus gets on the past because of some failure in the sin. Well, you need to realize God's mercy is there for you. You avail yourself of that mercy. You learn what lesson He has for you in that failure, hopefully not to make it again, but then you turn your back to that and you look, what's the next step to take me across the finish line? And I also can't rest on past successes. You know, I ran track for many, many years in my life. And, uh, and uh, I had some victories and I had some defeats, but I couldn't look to my past victories for any anything for today, in today's race. Today's race is a new race. And so we have to be careful that we don't look, look back. Where's a runner always taught to keep his gaze? Forward. Not looking around, not looking back, which will slow you up, distract you, trip you up. And then look, at, would you circle that phrase in, your, uh, in that verse, reaching forward? A uh, really strong uh, compound uh, verb in the Greek text. It literally means... Uh, to stretch a muscle to its limit. What Paul is uh, referring to is, is you need to picture a runner straining every muscle to reach the finish line. And, and we'll be seeing that. Maybe some of you have been watching the Olympic trials. And, of course, we'll be having the Olympics uh, uh, next month. And it's amazing to see these runners as they get to go to the finish line, how with every ounce of effort... I mean, they're, they're, everything's being expended. What? They are pushing across that finish line. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, uh, if I'm going to grow, if I'm going to grow in my relationship with Christ, if I'm going to grow to know deeper depths of Christ's likeness, I can't be content with, with, with where I'm at. I'm, I'm thankful that I'm not what I used to be, but I also realize I'm not yet what I ought to be. And so I, I, I need to press forward in that holy dissatisfaction uh, to improve. Uh, just like any athlete. I mean, any, you know, any athlete's going to stop uh, going forward if they become content with where their skills are today. They're always trying to improve their game, always trying to improve their strength and their quickness and their, uh, uh, to uh, uh, better their performance. And then concentration. I have to remain focused on that uh, one step at a time in order to cross the finish line a winner. Then look at the third thing, motivation. Uh, Where do I find the motivation to run and win the race? Well, it comes from keeping my eyes fixed on the prize of Christ. There it is. There's the motivation to run and win the race. By keeping my eyes fixed on the prize of Christ. Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Circle that word goal, G-O-A-L. Very strong, another strong, powerful word in the Greek text, skopio. Uh, The word literally means that a person has their head erect, uh, looking forward, and they are just literally focused on one singular object, oblivious of everything else around them. You know, the the word pictures just a refusal to be distracted. 
that, this, that I'm riveted, just focused on this one object. And then the word also means not just the idea of being focused and keeping my eyes on that object, but the reason I'm focused on that object, the reason my eyes are on that object, I have one singular goal in life, to make that object my own. And that's the word Paul uses. He says, that's how I live the Christian life. That's how I live every day, realizing that I need to keep my eyes fixed on my Lord, fixed on my Savior. My one goal being to get closer to Him, to know deeper depths uh, of Christ's likeness. And I see every challenge, every adversity, every temptation. Today, it just is an opportunity to learn deeper depths of Christ as I keep my eyes focused on Him. And then the very last thing, again, I know I'm going quickly, but I just wanted to get through the outline. We're going to return to this in the next message. Discipline. Uh, discipline in training standards. There has to be discipline. There's not an athlete that's ever accomplished anything that has not known great discipline. And it's the same thing in the Christian life. We must apply discipline uh, to our faith. Discipline in training standards without which no one wins the race. Paul says, let us therefore... As many as are perfect, that word perfect means mature. And by the way, in the context, it, it, one of the uh, characteristics of those who are mature is that they realize they're what? Not perfect. And therefore, they don't become content. And there's that holy dissatisfaction that drives them to go deeper with Jesus. And he says, if, and, uh, and have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard, those training standards to which we have obtained. Uh, turn quickly, and we'll close with this. Turn to the 1 Corinthians 9 passage. This is a great, great cross-reference of the importance of discipline and self-control as we run the race to go deeper in our relationship with Jesus and to develop deeper depths of Christ-likeness. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. He says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. He's back to that, you know, twice in the Philippians passage, Paul used that phrase, press on, press on, reaching forward. Uh, that, 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 uh, those verses are filled with... Uh, Greek terms that mean great energy and just pushing yourself to the limit. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, he says you're to push yourself to get across that finish line of winter. Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games, and he's referring to the uh, old sort of Olympic games in uh, years, uh, many years ago, exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. Circle that. I run in such a way not without aim. I have a purpose. I have a purpose today. I have a purpose in this moment. And that is to get closer to the goal of greater Christ-likeness. And so again, that's my aim. That's my purpose. So it doesn't matter what happens in the next half an hour. No matter what adversity, no matter what challenge, no matter what temptation, no matter what relationship comes my way. I see all of that as just tools, opportunities to accomplish the aim, the purpose 
that God has uh, for me. And then he says, uh, uh, where am I at? Verse 26, therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I buffet my body and make it my slave. Lest possibly after I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified. And then I want you to see the example. It's unfortunate there's a chapter break. He gives a great example of, of a group of people who did not exercise self-control in the race. And as a result, suffered greatly and never experienced the full blessing God intended for them. He refers back to the children of Israel and their deliverance from Egypt and God's intention to take them into the promised land. But you know the story how they ended up wandering in the wilderness for those 40 years because of their failure in self-control. Notice what he says, verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers, and would you circle every time he uses the word all. He said, our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Verse 3, and all ate the same spiritual food. Verse 4, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. So notice, one, two, three, four, five times he used the word all, but now notice the contrast in verse 5. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. And well, folks, that's a statement. When he says not with most of them, all of them, but how many? Two, Joshua and Caleb. And he says, now these things happened as examples for us that we should not crave evil things as they also craved. And do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So, we'll come back to this. But we're in a race. And we're in a race to go into deeper depths of our relationship with Christ, to go deep, deeper into uh, Christ's likeness. And that will never happen unless we know this holy dissatisfaction that motivates us to press forward, unless we maintain a concentration on the one thing that's the most important thing, and that's the next step. Because I can't get across that finish line without taking the next step, and then the next step. And so I take one step at a time, keeping my what? Focus on Jesus. There's my motivation, my focus on Jesus, keeping my eyes fixed on the prize, and then I have to realize the importance of discipline in training standards. In other words, I guess uh, the way that would... Uh, uh, fit with the race, you got to stay in your lane, uh, or uh, lest you be disqualified, and you have to play uh, by uh, the rules. This is a Lord's Supper Sunday, and uh, if you're visiting, we have a tradition here at Edgewood that when we uh, observe the Lord's Supper, we allow the church family an opportunity to minister to one another, uh, to express appreciation, to express encouragement, prayer. You know, I see Ron here who just lost his wife. I mentioned the Corazon family, how they've been going through great difficulty. Uh, and uh, 
great to see uh, Rob and Tiffany. Where's Rob and Tiffany? What beautiful couple that just returned from overseas back in the church you, you can express your love to. And, and this is a time where you look around and you know one another and, and, and just express your love. Express. This will also serve as our invitation. So in just a moment, I will literally give all of you the freedom to move about and to express your love and encouragement and appreciation, prayers for one another. I'll remain right here if anyone has a, a decision of any nature who wants to unite with the church, public profession of faith, I'll remain right here uh, for you. Uh, I would ask no one leave at this time. We believe this is a very important part of the service. You're welcome to remain right where you're seated. And if you choose to do that, just, just continue to reflect on those notes on the Scripture in Philippians 3. Ask God to give you grace to run that race uh, faithfully and just use this as a time of self-evaluation, a time of uh, renewing your love, expressing your love to Jesus, your commitment uh, to Him. And then we'll be closing the service in, in just about four minutes, in about four minutes. So right now, uh, as a church family, you do have the freedom to move about, to love, encourage, uh, minister to one another, and I'll remain right here for anyone who has a decision of any nature.